0: We're back, and we're into it. I'm Arlene Bynum. Thank you for joining me tonight, and it's kind of a podcast time of the day. It's just incredible, having spent so much time in the world of audio, to see this explosion of podcasts. It's fantastic. It's the way of communicating in the way, the magic, and the joy, and the mystical nature, may I say, of radio, which I've always loved. But is there a dark side to podcasts? Look at what's happening in our news. Look what's happening in our world. So many times in the last while of our uh, breaking news, we've had to deal with information that is Genesis is often coming from a podcast. Uh, Alex Jones used podcasts is talking directly. Sandy Hook as he spun the lies that it was a host. And and remember during the pandemic when Joe Rogan was making headlines uh, talking about that ivermectin worked. And it was disputed. And that has continued over and over. Ivermectin has never been seen as something that can be effective in the treatment or stopping COVID. And then we had all sorts of the denunciation of scientists. We have podcasts. Often we are learning that has become a source of information that may be troublesome. Have they become part of the misinformation machine? And what can we do about it? Joining us, Dr. Carmen Shelskini, who is a postdoctoral fellow in the School of Religion at Queen's University. Doctor, thank you for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. It's quite something, you know, It's uh, nothing is black and white, and there is a little gray in there, but podcasts are just exploding, it's our way, as I said, they're talking to each other, getting information out. In fact, there are a lot of podcasts that deal with the dangers of misinformation, but now we can't really ignore it, can we? Because often they're the format for breaking this, how... How bad is it out there? How dangerous is it out there?
1: It can be very dangerous. There's low to no moderation for podcasts, and we all actively listen to it. I mean, I'm I'm famous for it, too, sitting at home listening while I'm laying around watching television or thinking about these things. I'm listening to a podcast in the background, and it becomes our information source, and it becomes a habit for us. You know, just like we listen to our favorite radio hosts, we also listen to our favorite podcasters. And when they're not being moderated or watched, it can be a significant source of misinformation and disinformation and conspiracy theories.
0: Yeah, it's a new frontier. There's the good and the bad. And then we get back to it. How do you regulate it? You know, all this stuff is the wild, wild west and the wonderful freedom. May I hijack that word back? (laughs) I mean, there is real freedom, but there isn't when you're being delivered misinformation, and we see the danger of it, especially um, in in the aftermath of what's been happening in the United States. So, you know, it's, it's so intimate. It's, you know, I said earlier today, it's like being in a hermetically sealed room, just you and the podcast and the podcaster. How can we tell? I mean, dare we say what we can do about it without being accused of cancel culture here?
1: I think that one of the things that as a listener that you can actively participate in is actually researching the information. What we find is that if we look at some of the mainstream platforms for a podcast, they may have deplatformed some of these individuals, but their messages are still there. They may take down an account for a certain person, but they don't take down the podcast or someone else interviews them. And so the message continues to be shared out there. So it's an opportunity for active listening in that you pay attention, you do research, you think about the topic and then before you forward or before you engage with it, you actually research and then if there is a problem with disinformation or misinformation, actually share that to the platform that is providing that podcast and say, you know, this person has been de- deplatformed, but I'm still seeing him being interviewed on this platform or this podcast. And engage with that and try to not censor, but if we already know that there's an issue, then just follow up with that. There are issues with, like, free speech. You know, we can't Mm -hmm. censor people and, you know, cancel culture is an issue. But we also have to be significantly aware of the implications that this can have, both politically, scientifically, with society as a whole. And, you know, we have to be active participants in that.
0: It's very true and the dangers are out there. I mean, we've all met someone. I remember being at a party and dinner party and turning to the person left to me and I realized, "Whoa, you know, 9/11 was a hoax." Like you just real and they truly truly believed it picking it up on podcasts. But you know, it- As you were saying, if you listen, you research and you say, look, it's still on the platform. Look what happened with Joe Rogan when there was a great hue and cry about some of the podcasts that he's done. And he agreed some of them were taken down. Was that the right thing to do?
1: I think so. I think that, you know, we as a society try to be as inclusive and as accepting as possible. And we really try to articulate that And podcasts are no different than any form of information or entertainment that we engage in. And we have to hold people accountable to the standards that we have in society and the understandings and laws that we have in society. And it really behooves us to do that because if we don't engage or we just dismiss it, we can see events happen like the occupation in Ottawa. That was very much misinformation Mm -hmm. and conspiracy-driven, as was January 6th. So it's not something that we can just be standby, you know, stand by people not paying attention to it. We have to engage with it.
0: What else do we do? I mean, what if people are lying, as you say? I mean, what if it is a danger to the public discourse? There are times in our history where even if people stood on street corners, I remember in Toronto, there was somebody decades ago used to stand on the street corner and yell that the Holocaust wasn't real. And there was this great dilemma, what do you do? Because they're yelling it out and they're handling out papers. Well, it's the same thing now, and they're using podcasts. Well, if you were a, a betting person, do you think that there will be some regulation here, or should there
1: I think there has to be, and I don't think that it can be something that's national. I don't think it's just the Canadian response. I think it has to be a global response because we all have VPNs. We can log in from anywhere in the world and engage with this material. And, you know, if they don't meet a standard that we set in Canada, we can still entertain that material somewhere else in the world. So I think a global response to these ideas and to conspiracy theories and to disinformation has to be applied I think that as individuals, you know, I'm sure that you have um, a group of people who follow you on social media, and they... Consider you to be their truth bubble. What you share will be investigated and something that is considered true and well known. And, you know, people have truth bubbles that may not be sending out information that is correct. And so it's always good to sort of research, look around before you share anything. Don't share anything mindlessly and think about it. And when you're engaging in conversations with people about this material that you heard on the podcast, don't shut down the conversation. You know, don't go. Hit for tat about, you know, peer reviewed this, or, you know, I read this article, really talk about it on an emotional level, like how it makes you feel and engage to it in that way. So that way, it's more of a human connection, rather than a knowledge or who has a, the ultimate truth mm. in these conversations.
0: Because we know when that happens, we've all learned you don't get anywhere because exactly. they're, they're almost like, I hate to say it. It's almost like a cult when these happen. I remember doing a lot of investigative pieces on cults and the first thing they do is love bomb and warn you that people are going to say they're lying. Your family's going to say you're they they prep the battlefield. And this is happening with a lot of this disinformation.
1: Absolutely. And many of the people who believe very strongly about this disinformation or conspiracy theories see themselves as being something called social heroes, where they're sort of on the side of the eternal. They're saving us, and eventually they'll be seen as being heroes that we welcome into saving us from the tyranny or whatever the, the cause may be. And, you know, when we... Um, attack them and we use denigrating terms or we insult them, it validates their position because they understand themselves as being ostracized mm-hmm. from the greater society. So really we need to engage as human beings on an emotional level far more than arguing points or who said what.
0: Dr. Carmen Shelstani is a post-doctoral fellow in the School of Religion at Queen's University. Thanks for joining us tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm Marlene Bunn. Don't go away. This is On Point.